0: Thank you, Brother Willie. I told Brother Kenneth originally I'd uh, I'd like just two or three minutes at the very beginning here to thank everybody for the prayers, support, and bev has been able to attend. My- uh, one time in a year and a half and this the first time in over six months i told brother kenneth this, I, I don't need any time because if i do I, i'll get the blubbering and i've tried not to even make eye contact with most of you because i it, it'll start and uh, and then Tim sings the last song, which a teenager by the name of Madeline LeFevre wrote that song without him short while before I was saved. And that was the invitation. Song the morning I was saved. And then Brother Willie gets up here and just knocks it out of the park. Well, how you? I don't know whether it's <clears throat> I don't know whether it's harder to not cry or not sing. I, all during the song service, I, <clears throat> I realize I couldn't sing, or I get I get so short of breath I can't talk. And uh, this morning, I'd rather talk than sing. And uh, they got uh, all kinds of immersion. The oxygen stuff back there, but I don't want any of that this morning. And uh, I wish I had time to just um, kind of bring you up to date on everything, and I don't. And I have no idea how long I'm going to speak this morning. I'd said before, I, I just, I'm convinced God wants to tell you. I don't even know what to call it other than my story. And uh, and it believe me, it's not... Is not the whole story, but uh, so if you get tired, or you have to go to work, or you get hungry, and you get through before I do, you can leave. I promise you. I I promise you. I won't get angry about it. I won't hold it against you. Uh, you know, before I read my text. You can be turning there, one verse this morning, Psalms 119, and I'll tell you what it is a bit later. Before I read my text this morning, I I, I just simply want to remind you that uh, we're all very much alike. You know, we look at ourselves and we think how different we are, but you know... <clears throat> Uh, since the fall of man human nature has never changed it's never changed and it doesn't there's no change until christ comes into our heart and even after we're saved we still have the vestiges that is the leftovers of that old nature that still they still trouble us and paul wrote extensively about that uh so we're all the same in that way one of the characteristics I think we all have is that we all want to be pleased. We we want to control what happens in our life. In other words, we want to call the shots, and we tend to get displeased whenever we can't do that. And uh, everybody has certain desires. Everybody has dreads in their life, things that that probably will never happen, but you you're dreading them you dread what if that happens so we have desires and and dreads and we want to avoid you know a lot of the things that we would never want to experience and uh, sometimes the things that we want to avoid though are the very things that we need most and it's not until after we discover that a loss can actually prove to be a gain in other words, our pain can become profitable. You know that we realize that uh, that God had a plan for all of this. You know, something we would never ever choose for ourselves is suddenly thrust upon us, and uh, not being able to see the future, uh, we tend to get we get fearful, we get discouraged. We don't like the way things are playing out that's not what we would have chosen and so life is full of surprises and some disappoint us some of them are delightful and uh, the outcome of those surprises can be shocking sometimes God has a way of turning things upside down when we never expected it and he can take something that is so woeful and make something so wonderful out of it we would never choose it we would never want it we might not ever want to go through it again but then God takes it and he says let me show you what I can do with this and I make mention of all of that because that's exactly what happened in my life in spite of my best effort to protect myself from the from from COVID Boy, I've, nobody other than maybe Angie washes their hands more than I do. I, I just I carry my sanitizer with me. I wear a mask. I do everything possible to protect myself from it. Well, uh, anyway, I ended up uh, in the hospital with COVID pneumonia and a blood clot in my lung and a very sick wife at home. I don't want to be in the hospital knowing she's there. So, after five days in the hospital, uh, at my insistence, I told them, take me home. I'd rather spend one more night in my recliner with my wife and die than to spend another night here. And, of course, they said, you know, they couldn't do it, and I insisted. And so, uh, after five days... The only way they could and would was to put me on hospice care, and so my girls and wife tell me after I get home, by the way, you're on hospice care. Oh, great, you know, so y'all think I'm going to die, huh? Well, it's the only way to get me out of the hospital. So there I was, back at home, flat on my back, being attended to by my daughters and concerned about my wife and and naturally, like anybody, I'm thinking, well, oh, Lord, what are you going to do with this? How can how can this prove to be profitable? But God had already been speaking to my heart. And Brother Kenneth can tell you I, I didn't mention anything other than it was evident to him when I was in the hospital. God's doing something. I'm going to use this word because I don't know a better word to describe it, but it's in a good way. God's doing something weird with him. Uh, maybe was, he might have thought he's losing his mind i come home and uh, when i did i called just bev and had bev just a conversation with her private conversation and tried my best to explain what god had done and uh When I didn't think anything good can come out of it, suddenly a little light come on in my head. The Spirit of God reminded me of Psalms 119, verse 71. I want you to notice that verse this morning. David says, It is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. And what at first appeared to be a a curse turned into be a, a change, life changing work of God in my life, and and I'm confident I can say this with full assurance that uh, that what happened changed me more than anything since I first trusted Christ as my Savior, and and God did it all. Now. Don't misunderstand that God changed me when He saved me. Anybody that knew me knew there was a drastic change that had taken place in my life, and God has been changing me over the years, and 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 on and on and on. But but I'm just now there. God did something in my heart that changed me more than. More than anything since the time that I was born again. And I don't think anything else even really comes close to it. But it's beyond what I can describe. And uh, all I know is I, I intend to spend the rest of my life, whether it's a month or whether it's 10 years. I told Bev whenever I met with her, I was trying to explain. And I said, I'm not going to go into detail about things God put on my heart. But I've got reason, I think good reason to believe that I got longer than a month to live, that I'm more likely to be living and preaching 10 years from now than I am to die within the next month. And I believe that because it's hard to imagine God putting certain things on my heart and then saying, oh, by the way, i won't take you home next week. Now, God can still do that. I don't know exactly what God's going to do, but I determined that I was going to spend the rest of my life, however long it is, trying to live out the, the, the truth and the reality of what God did in my heart. And like Paul said, whether by life or whether by death, The desire of my heart is to exalt Christ and glorify God. Everything in life is secondary to that. I'm also convinced that God wanted me to take this time to share this with you this morning. You know, that's never easy. And in 55 years of preaching, I've never, ever had such a difficult time. In trying to prepare a message i give brother Kenneth some i won't go into the details of that uh, but it's been tough and you know how do you explain an experience to somebody else i mean you you, you've got two flawed minds living in the fog of the, the fog of the fall of man and we're trying to understand each other now You know, if it's something that is written out or something that is spoken, that's one thing. But when it's something that transpired in the heart of someone, how in the world do you ever transmit that to someone else? And and the fact of the matter is, without God's help, we never could. We never could. And I'm believing that God is going to help me in some way... He's going to get that message across to you because I can't. It's it's impossible. And I mention all of that because, as I said, I'm convinced he wants me to to share this story with you. And uh, I don't want you to even think of this as a sermon or a Bible lesson. I told Brother Kenneth, I think I'll say to any young preachers out there, this is not the way you prepare a sermon. This is not a sermon. This is a testimony. Maybe the longest one you ever heard, but it's a testimony. Uh, But it's true, and that's the main thing. It's hard to imagine some of the sermons Jesus sitting out on the hillside there. I don't ever see three points in a poem or anything like that. It was all about communicating, communicating the truth with people. And uh, so as I said, as much as I... My flesh despises it. God showed me how pain really can be profitable and suffering can, have, uh, can sanctify us. Our, our afflictions can get our attention. A, a tragedy can uh, be something that ends up bringing great victory uh, into our life. And, and, and since we don't know what's best for us most of the time, We don't really know what we need. We think we do, and that's what gets us in trouble. We think we've got it all figured out. This is what I need. But since we don't know, God just steps in, just interrupts our life. And he steps in, and he takes over and and awakens us, and he alerts us uh, to some area of our life that needs attention. And that's exactly what happened in uh, my time in the hospital and shortly thereafter, and, and so I hope you'll bear with me uh, as I try to explain. I, I'd already told someone before that the only way I know to describe it, the what the the difficulty, the problem was. What did God show me? And, and, and I said the only way I know to describe it is that. Uh, I'd left Jesus. I'd left Jesus. Oh, I know you're thinking, oh, Brother Stone, you'd never do that. And uh, <coughs> you're thinking, well, I thought better of you, Brother Stone. Or <clears throat> I don't know. You might be thinking, well, I'll tell you one thing. That never happened to me. You, you didn't, you'd never let that happen to you. Uh, well, don't be too surprised what might happen to you. We're not always aware of what's happening in our life, and where we are in our life. We think we're one place, and in reality, spiritually, we're in another place. And let me tell you, feeling comfortable about where you are is not the most important thing. Amen. You know, I've heard people say, well, I do, I'm just real comfortable with my beliefs. I, I'm real satisfied with where I am in my Christian life. Boy, you better hang on because your road's probably going to get rough real quick. We need to know the truth about ourselves, and sometimes it's really hard to face the facts because you know the the, the pride in us, you know, <clears throat> we're we're blinded to our our failures, and you know we want to exaggerate our good points and the best example maybe of this i can think of is the church at ephesus you know the story i preached on it so many times and and here john out on the isle of patmos and john the holy spirit using john jesus speak this is a letter directly from jesus to that church at ephesus and he starts out and he commends them for faith and love i mean they've got their act together not only that, but they are working. It, it's a church, I mean, they're busy, they're working. It's a church that takes, takes a stand for the truth. They will not tolerate heresy in the church. It's, it would be what I would call, if I'd moved to the area and was looking for a church, I'd say, that's where I'm going. Boy, that church got it together now. You could say, I visit every church in Asia Minor. That's the best one. They would have been right. And then the Lord turns right around and says, but I've got somewhat against thee. And then he drops the bombshell. He says, you've left your first love. And notice he didn't say you lost it. He said you left it. And it didn't say your first love left you. He said you have left your first love. 55 years. <clears throat> for 55 years of preaching, I have strived above all things to be faithful to God, never compromise the truth. Brother Kenneth can already tell you how difficult it is sometimes to stand for the truth when you know people that you love is going to get irate. When you know that people will even leave the church because they don't like what you're preaching, and yet you're committed to being faithful to God, you're committed to giving people the truth and taking a stand on that and not compromising. And uh, you know, looking back, and I think, <clears throat> I, I think, well, maybe, 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 maybe I've maybe I've got that, and. Uh, as I wrote in, in, in a morning man the other day, I think, you know, the average lifespan, ministry lifespan of a pastor is two years. That's all. That's it. And so it's easy for me to look at, wow, 55 years and I haven't dropped out of the ministry yet. So I'm saying that for a reason because it's easy for me to convince myself, you know, that everything must be you know i'm not perfect but it's at least pretty good and that's when god gave me a wake up call and i ne- i never saw it coming and he let me know <clears throat> as i said that in, that i had actually left jesus i didn't drop out of the ministry and i didn't want to believe it but God made it clear, so clear that uh, I, I couldn't deny it. And I, I was forced to face the facts. I was forced to plead guilty. I didn't want it to happen. <clears throat> I really didn't think it had happened. But I was wrong. And you see, I, I didn't realize it had happened until the Holy Spirit made it clear to me that I would left Jesus I had been so focused on being faithful, and especially at this stage of my life, when when my wife is sick, my health isn't good. I've made a commitment that I would never retire as long as uh, as long as I wasn't dragging the church down, as long as I had my right mind, as long as I was physically able, I would keep preaching, whether it's here or somewhere that I would never retire, that I would be in the ministry until the very end. And uh, and I was focused on that because it's easy, you know, to say, well, I don't think you ought to worry about getting older. Well, we, uh, I didn't worry about it either till I got there. and I really, I, I really, I'm not worried about old age. I'm not even worried about death. I, my concern was, how much longer have I got? And that was I was letting that eat at me every day until uh, until in my heart and mind I had I was more focused on staying faithful, and I lost sight of of who is most important, not what's most important, but who is most important. There in that hospital, I. Th- I thought this is the most embarrassing moment of my life. And as I said, I wish I could explain it better. Uh, The only way I know to explain it is as he said to the church service, you left your first love. (coughs) I want you to think for a little while about what that what is. (coughs) what could that possibly mean I I mean um, what's an example of that well it could mean that we're less expressive of our love you remember back when you were first saved wow wow As I've said so many times, I walked out of the Community Baptist Church in Willard, Missouri. It felt like all the birds were singing Amazing Grace and a thousand pounds had been lifted off of my shoulder. There was a spring in my step and a song in my heart. God just totally changed everything about me that day. Bev and the kids can tell you, man... Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever it was. We wasn't just at church. We were there for turning lights on. We'd get there early and go in and sit in a darkened auditorium a lot of times. We couldn't wait to get back and excited about getting in church and serving God. And uh, you're just so overwhelmed by the greatness of God that uh, you can't think about anything else. And... uh, but you know, somewhere, somewhere over time, if we're not careful, if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, we can become less expressive of that, of that love for the Lord. Now, I, I know you express your love for God by singing, and whenever you're praying, you, you do that. I, I've, I've always done that. But what about personally and privately? You're just all by yourself. Six, eight months ago, I don't know what brought it up. Well, I do. God brought it up. I was praying about something and it's as though God was saying to me, why do you keep asking and you haven't spent any time praising me? And Boy, I want to tell you, my prayer life changed spot on from that day forward. Every day, and, and I'm praying throughout the day, but there is that special time every day when I pray, and it's always starting out in a way that is praising God because so many times we're so intent on getting this and getting that, or doing this and doing that, we forget to praise Him for just who He is. Who He is. Sometimes we can get less expressive of that. Sometimes it means that we get less zealous. Again, go back to whenever you were first saved. You know, you just can't wait for the next service. And let me tell you, there's nothing in the world like being around new Christians. Their enthusiasm is just it's contagious. There's nothing like it, but there's few things that are so sad as a Christian after they lose that enthusiasm. That's why I've often said the most miserable people in the world are not those drunks down there on Skid Row. It's not the dopehead. It's not the harlot. They're not the most miserable people in the world. Some of them are having a a party hardy for them every day, at least for a while. Most miserable people in the world is a child of God out of the will of God. Amen. And so many times we lose that zeal, and and that is an indicator of the fact that we have left our first loved. We no longer express our feelings for God as we should privately, personally. We no longer have the zeal for God that we used to have. Another indicator is the fact that we get distracted. You know, some people think that they would never get distracted. Never happened to me. I'm so busy serving God. I've been busy 55 years. We went 23 years without. Being missing a Sunday, Bev and I and the family—no vacation or anything. Twenty-three years. I'm not bragging about that. I'm telling you, we, we did that out of the conviction of our heart that we needed to be in God's house on that day. That's what it was all about. And I'm look—I'm not—I'm not telling you to do that. You need a vacation. You take a vacation. I'm, I'm just talking about us, and I'm talking about—I mentioned that only to say you couldn't be much busier than we were busy about serving the Lord. And let me tell you, sometimes the best place, we we preachers for many, many years have told Bible college students, the easiest place in the world to get bachelors in Bible college. And that's true, whether they realize it or not. The second easiest place, maybe the first easiest really, I don't know, is in the ministry or being involved because after a while we get so focused on the work of God that we get distracted from God himself and we're thinking about you know my class and we're thinking about my message and we're thinking about our giving or whatever it is but there's another one I think that really I think this is what it really gets down to probably, and that is that a lot of times we've left our first love when our love ceases to grow. Our love for Christ should be always abounding. It ought to be always growing. There's no stopping point. There's no plateau where you get to a certain point and you say, boy, I love the Lord. I love the Lord more than anywhere. I I love Him enough. And that you just stop there. You might love God more than anybody else in the church. I mean, I don't know. That's not for me to judge. But it might be true. But that doesn't mean it's enough. Not if you stop. Not if, it, not, if, not if you got to that place where you're no longer growing. Kind of like a bicycle, you keep going or you fall over. And let me tell you, when our love for the Lord stops growing, we're headed for trouble. We're to love Him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our might, with all that is within us. And everything we do ought to be done as a conscious expression of our love for Christ the problem is a lot of times if we're honest and, and I know sometimes we think we're doing it out of love for the Lord but if we're honest if the spirit of God suddenly revealed to us the fact of the matter is we're not doing certain things out of the will of God oh I know we love God at least to some measure but what we do, we may well maybe we do it out of habit. You know, I really suspect that there's some of you that's on what I'll call autopilot. Autopilot. The boss I worked for years ago in civil engineering, he had a he had a plane, and uh, we'd fly a place to place. He set that on autopilot. He'd just kick back and drink a cup of coffee and talk and chat. I think a lot of Christians are on autopilot. They're on autopilot whenever, whenever they sing, for example. You know, we just, we just smell the words. There's no real thought. There's no feeling. I got home after those days in the hospital. My wife and daughters can tell you Probably better than I can because I was kind of out of it. For three or four days, while they were all asleep in the other room, I had nonstop gaithers on YouTube playing. All I'd get sleepy and maybe doze off and wake back up. Non-stop southern gospel music. You said, well, why why would you do that? Well, I didn't feel like doing anything else. And I could sit there and... I thought to myself, dear God, what's happened to us? I'm not saying we ought to have Bill Gaither come here and put on one of his shows or something. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, dear Lord, especially in our Baptist churches... It, we act like we're scared to death. You can't get a holy grunt out of anyone Stand there like a calf looking at a new gate. And, and we act like that somebody had called us Pentecostal or Baptist or whatever it was if we raised our hand, said amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord or anything at all. But at least when you're singing, at least be thinking about the words you're saying. Mean what you're saying or shut up. Just put the book down and forget it. Get off of autopilot. Sometimes. Sometimes people do what they do just out of the pleasure of it. I mean you I'm sure you've heard me say, I I love to preach. And I do, but that's not why I preach. I preach because God called me to preach. It's not because I love it. But I can guarantee you over the years I've known people that, and I'm talking about really good, faithful people in the Lord's church. They love to sing. Or they love to teach. But sometimes we can, uh, we can be so motivated by, by the fact that we love that That we forget about the fact that we ought to be doing it because we love Jesus. In other words, we are doing it to gratify ourselves instead of glorifying God. And I'm sure, look, there's a lot of other things that could be mentioned. But I'll tell you what, if you get those things mentioned, or get those things conquered in your life, if you get them covered in your life, everything else kind of takes care of itself. Don't you think? Whenever you're doing everything you do out of a desire to bring honor and glory to God and no other reason, when you do that, it'll answer all of those other questions. So five days, he got home, 9.59. Brother Kenneth was in his car behind the ambulance. 9.59, 9.59, I wanted to know, I got it marked down in my diary, 9.59, i never been so happy to get home in my life, wow, laying there flat on my back in that hospital bed, they wouldn't, you couldn't even move, had an alarm on that thing. Everything I eat in those five days i you could put on one good-sized platter it wouldn't make a half of a Thanksgiving meal i they I, I couldn't eat it but it was worth every bit of it because it changed the very core of my being. the best way I'll be more specific in a little bit, but about the best way I know to to explain it is I. I experienced a revival, a personal revival that affected every area of my life. And I owe it all to God. And I say that, I mean, I don't deserve any credit because I didn't even know I had a problem. And I sure didn't know how to fix it. But God knew what had to change. And so he went to work fixing it before it got worse. And now I can say, just as the psalmist said, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. But notice that he goes right on and he explains why. That he might learn what? God's statutes. Learn. Now generally when we think about learning, we're talking about something we have received by reading or by listening or watching. And we, we learned it as a result of that. This word learned has to do with experience. It was good for me to be afflicted because through experience I learned something. In other words, this is so very personal. and That's what I want you to see. Many of you can quote a, you can quote scripture after scripture. That's great, but boy, you know them in a different way after you experience it. Experience has a way of making truth bigger, and bolder, and brighter. It makes it it makes it so easy to see and hard to forget. ask you a question could you be is it possible this is not an accusation but could you be facing the same problem i had i don't know but god does and let me tell you god will do whatever it takes to get your attention that's why i often say god loves his children too much to allow them to sin successfully And that's what it's telling us there in Hebrew. says, Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom He receives. Now before I head down the back stretch, I start to say before I close, and and I, I don't want to lie to you, but we're headed that direction. I want to do one more thing, and I want to make sure you understand why this is so important to me to tell you this story. First of all, because I know enough about human nature and the Bible to happen to me can and does happen to other people. It's not just unique to me. All of God's people are in danger of the same thing, getting in the same condition, as I was in, in the church at Ephesus, that you've got so focused on. Oh, something good, not sinful, something really good. You're focused on God's work. You're, you're doing charitable work in the community. It's good stuff you're doing. God says, that's not enough to satisfy me. I want your attention. Amen. Secondly, I want to tell you that facts are hard to face. Because we always want to put ourselves in the best possible light. And it's hard to hear the truth about ourselves. Hard to, hard to realize and face the fact that our views aren't always right. We're not as smart as we like to think we are. We're weaker than we think we are. Our motives are not always pure if we're honest about it. Uh, We're all prone to pretend. That that that's within every one of you. If you don't believe, you take off all your makeup, then, ladies. No, don't really. It's like that old barn the preacher was talking about. You know, any old barn looks better with a little paint on it. I'm just trying to make a point, and I made a bunch of enemies. I'm just telling you that we all want to put our best foot forward because we want people to think the best of us and uh, and, and that makes it hard to face the facts about ourselves. The third thing is that being in the will of God's always the best, right? Remember, it's always right, it's always best, and it's always safest. And then I want to say it's time for us to get real. It's time to get real in our life. And that means that we have to examine ourselves in the light of God's Word. Confess whatever sin it is. We have to make the main thing the main thing. And that means keeping the first things first. And the first thing is what? Christ. And the glory of God. That's the purpose for which we exist. And you know, as Christians, we all know that we ought to glorify God. We, we know that. You've heard sermons about that. But we need to remember that to do that, we have to esteem. We have to honor. We have to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ above all. Other. He has to be first, foremost, and forever in our thoughts and in our affections and in our devotion to God. And if if we fail any time any way along that line, all of a sudden you can well you can just say you left Jesus. That's exactly what's going on. Because you're on a different path than where he wants you to be. We allow something or someone to take his place, and we can deny that all that we want to, but the evidence proves we're guilty. The best way I know to, to, to really sum it up, and I'm trying my best to do that, is to tell you that through that experience and the, the revival in my heart is that God restored the, the intimacy between me and Christ. You know, in, in being intimate with Christ, and there's so many times that we use that word and we use it in in various ways but let me tell you it is never more important it's never more meaningful than whenever we think about it in terms to our relationship with god think about having a relationship with christ that's a wonderful fact but here's the problem some of you have a relationship with Christ in that He is your Lord and Savior. When you die, you're going to heaven, but there's no intimacy between you and Him. That word speaks about closeness. It speaks about a, a fellowship, that is a sharing. It speaks about a, a communion, a oneness with Him. And there again, we, we let ourselves get distracted Distracted from the one who the Bible says is altogether lovely. So occupied with his work that we lose sight of his son. You see, speaking about Christ, which is what I'm doing right now. Speaking about Christ is not the same thing as speaking with Christ. You know, wouldn't it be terrible if I invited you over to, to my home or something and uh, the wife's in one room and I'm in the other room and so I'll let you in the door. And so sit down there, sit down. Where's your wife? Oh, she's in, she's in the, Well, I come over to, uh, I come over, I want to ask you. oh, just sit, sit, I'll tell, I'll tell you all about her, you know. I'll answer any questions. You know, it's one thing to answer the questions about a person, but it's another thing to interact with that person, to be in communion with that person. An intimate relationship. You say, Well, I never heard such a thing. You ever read Song of Solomon? Go home and study that book having an intimate relationship with God. And just as every one of us is prone in our marriages to neglect the being intimate, and, and, and when I use that word, believe me, I'm not talking about sex or just sex, however you want to think about it. There's a lot more to it than that. I'm talking about a closeness, a oneness. And Bev and I talk about it all, and she knows me better than I know myself, and they twain shall be what? One. There's something to that. You're you're no longer two, you're one flesh. Think about that the next time you disrespect one another or something. You're one you're hurting yourself. You're one flesh. And with Christ we are to have such closeness with Christ. It's one thing to know about Jesus. That's different than knowing Jesus. You get all the facts you want, doesn't mean you know him. You want to know what's implied by that? Adam knew Eve. They had kids. You know, get around that sexual part of it. That's the Word. It's talking about this knowledge of, of Christ, this communion with Christ, being intimate with Christ. And when we really know Him, we're knowing Him in a personal way. And we have that closeness and fellowship with Him. I'm afraid we live in a day where we've been cursed by cultural Christianity, and we have just marginalized Jesus. We we do business as usual, but Jesus is over here, kind of like Leonard Ravenhill said about the Holy Spirit. With most churches, he could walk out the door and leave the church, and he'd never be missed. We'd just go right on doing business as usual. So many times we sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. And then we settle for a relationship that's far less than that. Christ wants an intimate relationship with you. And let me tell you, listen carefully, you are as close to to God as you want to be. Because you have a choice in this matter. I like what one preacher said about... said, God has many intimates, but no favorites. It's another way of saying what He's done for others, He'll do for you. It's another way of saying the door is wide open. Folks, we can get as close to God as we choose to to, to be. And, And I'm just trying to tell you, don't settle for less than your best. Don't cheat yourself out of the blessings that can only come by having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. How horrible it would have been if that church at Ephesus had sent that letter back. Here, John, here's our response. We feel real good about ourselves around here. We're the best church in, in all of Asia Minor. I think you have unduly criticized us. And that's when someone needed to remind them that letter came from Jesus. And I'm telling you, what I'm telling you comes from, from God's word. God's not going to settle for you living a second-rate life and leave you alone. I promise. I close with this: James four, verse eight. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted. This is verse nine. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Man, we don't. We sure don't see much of that, do we? Be afflicted and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned to mourning. And your joy to heaviness. And then verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he shall lift you up. Notice those words draw nigh. He's telling, in other words, he's saying, this is your responsibility. It's our responsibility to draw nigh to God. And here's the reward. And that's in Psalm 73, 28. He says, it is good for me to draw near to God. This is more than just a single act like salvation is. I know a lot of people think, well, I already repented of my sins. I, I know of Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I'm going to heaven. We're not talking about that right now. We're talking about your habitual walk. And that's implied here by this word James uses, draw. It speaks about what we do habitually day after day and a closer, closer walk with the Lord. It's an old, old song. Used to, years ago, different places we'd have requests, and I just about every time, you know, I had two or three songs that I'd always request. If I did, and I'd generally give everybody a chance to request whatever they wanted, didn't get a good response, I had one. More often than not, it was an old song called Nothing Between, Nothing Between My Soul and My Savior. If you've never heard that, you need to go home and read it. Nothing between my soul and my Savior. Think about that. Can you this morning honestly say, I haven't let anything come between me and my Savior? Daniel could say, I'm not letting the bus ministry come between me and Jesus Bubba could say, I'm not letting the sound room ministry come between me and Jesus. Tim could say, I'm not going to let the music ministry come between me and Jesus. The list goes on and on and on. But can you honestly say there's nothing that's b- between you and the Savior? I could mention 40, 11 different things that it might be and never hit the nail on the head, but believe me, God knows. And if you'll be honest, probably deep down in your heart, you know what it is. It might be that bitterness towards someone else or that jealousy that you have in your heart, that resentment or covetous or whatever it is. It might be your pride of the things you're doing for the Lord. And you've let that come between you and you and your fellowship with Jesus. And it's my time to just say, I'm done, I'm through. That's, that's the story. And you can do with it, whatever you will. But my prayer is that someone in some way might be drawn closer to Christ because that's all I care about. Exalting Him and glorifying the Father. That's all that matters this morning. Tim, service is yours. Kenneth.